Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Today we begin a new series, a series on the topic of family. And it's an opportunity for us to reflect on the roles that we play in our earthly families, but also for us to pay attention to God's promises to those who are in his eternal family. Today we're going to start appropriately, I feel, in the beginning, in Genesis. We're going to walk through exactly what happened, sort of like a crime scene investigator, what happened with this first family. This first family did not exactly set for us a very uh, golden example, did they? They didn't set for us the, the best example for how to be a family, and yet they were the first. For most of history, we look towards first to show what to do. The first president of the United States, George Washington, has set the standard for virtually all other presidents. People who have held the job that you currently hold, unless that title was created for you, in which case you are the first, um, you have followed the precedent of someone else. We are following the precedent, the example of this first family, but hopefully we don't take the bad example that they left for us, but rather we can learn from their example. And so let's get into this. Right in the very beginning, we want to talk about God's creation of the family. So Genesis 1 says that God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. This was the plan from the very beginning. God wanted humans around so that they could live together, operate together, worship together, be fruitful together, multiply upon the earth, fill it, and bring it under dominion. Have understanding of it, subdue it, so that we might honor God by doing so. But then we reach a point where we must confront the realities of the fall. We only get two chapters later. How many years this is, we don't know for sure, but I guarantee it wasn't that long before we run into these words. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor and with, and with toil, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree, which I have commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. How did we get from this point? God created humanity with a great plan and purpose, with love in his heart, with an amazing life filled with fulfillment and self-actualization and joy at every turn to this point where God is issuing a curse upon his creation due to the sin of those he created as the pinnacle of his six days of creation. Well, that's a hard, a hard story, but one with which we are all too familiar. And if you were to summarize it in one word, it would be this, sin. Sin is what happened that brought us from one point to the next, and we're all too familiar with it because we look at Eve and we see what she has done. We look at Adam and we see what he has done. We look at the first family and how they have fallen, 
And there's a couple things that we identify quickly if we're honest with ourselves. Even today, we see the impact of these sins, the impact of our sins, and how they have driven us apart from God and driven us apart from those who are supposed to be closest to us, our loved ones. And so we see this. The realities of the fall are these. Wives have learned to disobey God from their first mother, Eve. Husbands have learned to pass the buck of responsibility from their first father, Adam. Men have learned to hate their brothers and kill them from their first brother, Cain. And we have all together as sinful, broken humanity, we have learned to have contempt for those most familiar to us by the example of the first family. Have you heard that phrase before, that familiarity breeds contempt? The closer you are to something, the more you see its warts, its boils, its imperfections. You see all the things that reflect the ugliness of this sinful and broken world. Familiarity breeds contempt. And if we are truly affirmed in the fall, if we are sinful people and we allow that sin to define us, this is the ultimate destiny, the ultimate fate that we have anytime we consider what it means to be in a close personal relationship. It's always stained. It's always marred. It's always ugly. But that's not what I'm here to talk about today. I'm not here to talk about the broken, sinful state of humanity. We're all too familiar with that. I'm not here to remind you and push on you to say, your relationships with your family members aren't quite what they should be, because you know that. You know the strains of relationships. You know the awkward silences. You know those social situations, the the Thanksgiving dinners, the, the visits, the phone calls that should have happened but never did. You know the strain that sin has put on the relationships with those who are closest to you. And so I'll say no more of it. And instead what I will say is that in Christ there are promises of redemption. There are certainly realities due to the fall that have real application for the way we conduct ourselves with those in our lives, but we see that for every shortcoming that Adam produced in the garden, we see Jesus produce a solution to that shortcoming. So whereas wives have learned to be disobedient, then we see that God has given all humanity the opportunity to be forgiven for their disobedience. So we have been forgiven by the new Adam of Christ Jesus, and the old man within us has been put to death. We have been given a new life and a new purpose and a new meaning. So whereas husbands have learned to skirt responsibility, to pass the buck, to not take ownership for what they are called to be in dominion over, we now see that that purpose, that meaning that we all so desperately want in this life has been given to us through Christ Jesus and what he has done on the cross and on Easter morning. 
Men have learned to hate their brothers after their first brother Cain, but now through Christ Jesus, our true brother, with a capital B, we have been loved and truly loved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We've been loved by our Savior more deeply than we can ever know or experience this side of heaven. And whereas we have all learned contempt for the familiar, here we have been given in Christ the equipping to live and to love in an unconditional way. In a John chapter 3 way like we read today in our gospel, where we feel and experience a love not based on conditions. We are loved not based on how well we love. We are regarded as holy not based on how well we follow rules. We are, based not, we are judged not solely on the, the health or the quality of our earthly relationships, but rather unconditionally our Heavenly Father pours out His love over and over and over again. And through His Son, Jesus Christ, He has modeled for us the way of unconditional love, that a brother should lay down his life for another, that we should sacrificially Give for those around us. And so Jesus provides the solution, the answer for all of these problems that sin has put in front of us. So we ask the question then, what is the basis for our families? What is the foundation of that word family? What is the, 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 at the bottom, at the very core, in the middle of the family? We would say this. It's love. Love is what sustains a family. 1 Corinthians 13, a passage I'm sure many of you are familiar with. It's the most common and most um, frequent passage that's requested in weddings. People love to hear about love. And this is where Paul lays it out for us. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Do you hear family in those words? So often these words are written about the kind of love that we find in a Hallmark card the kind of love that comes with a dozen red roses. This kind of love is not that kind of love, though. This kind of love is the kind of love that sits all hours of the night holding the hand of someone in a hospital bed. This is the kind of love that has kids climbing all over them when they are just at their wit's end. This is the kind of love that changes poopy diapers. This is the kind of love, (coughs) excuse me, that endures Alzheimer's, dementia, cancer. This is the kind of love that we see in our families, and this is the kind of love that we learn from our Heavenly Father. But you'll notice something about this. This is, this is love, but where does it come from? Love sustains our families, but, but it requires a bank, a battery, a reserve of energy to produce that love. Because it's not easy to be patient. It's not easy to be kind. 
It's not easy to reserve our envy or to not boast. It requires us to to put forth an effort to, to do what we are called to do, to love. So the question then is, where does the love come from? And the beautiful thing about this, the beautiful thing about the creation of the family it, are, are these amazing promises that we have from God. That as love is required to sustain a family, we also know that families are given to us to grow and produce fruits of love. Isn't that amazing? It's a cyclical thing. Love sustains the family. Families produce love. Love sustains the family. Family produces love. This cycle, like an engine, it continues to spin around and around and around. What a beautiful creation of God that he has given us this wonderful promise. I've been reading a biography on the 20th century theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If you don't know Bonhoeffer, he was a pastor, a Lutheran pastor, during the Nazi uh, takeover and occupation of Europe. He had some connections to uh, British society, to English society, but he was well regarded as a sort of aristocratic German citizen. His father was one of the most notable psychiatric workers in Germany. His family was well regarded. And so he used his influence in in circles in Germany to try to convince people that Adolf Hitler and his Nazi regime were not good. They were not in accordance with God's will. And he even went so far as to follow back channels to try to overcome these, these things. And he was thrown into jail for that. And he was eventually killed in a Nazi concentration camp two weeks before the end of World War II. But when he was in prison, he had the opportunity to write a sermon, a wedding sermon, actually, for his niece and her fiancé. And at the core of this sermon is this beautiful depiction that families are what grow love. And when you look at the backdrop of all of the hatred that's going on all around them, all of the death, all of the chaos, all of the utter brokenness of the world of Nazi Germany in 1943, you see this amazing light rise up from the midst of it through this wedding sermon. And he says these words, As high as God is above man, so high are the sanctity, the rights, and the promise of marriage. Above the sanctity, the rights, and the promise of love. It is not your love that sustains your marriage, but from now on, the marriage that sustains your love. And this is true of marriage, certainly, but it's true of marriage as a microcosm of familial love. It is not love that sustains your family in so much as it is your family that sustains and grows and produces fruit of love. And so we see this beautiful harmony at play where we don't have to come in and say, I I have to produce all this love within myself so that I can have what I need to love my family. Your love is made by what the family gives back to you. And then you use that love to serve and honor your spouse to raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And that's what it means to use that love to grow, use that love to sustain your family. 
We call on this noun, this, this definition of vocation, where we see God has this calling for our lives through which we serve God and we love our neighbor. And perhaps the first and most profound vocation any of us will ever receive is the calling of our lives to serve and love those who aren't even literally our neighbor, but who are literally right next to us, in the same room, on the same couch, at the same dinner table, our families. We have a vocation to love and to serve them. And so here's an explanation of how we live out our vocation in our family. We all have a God-given responsibility to our families, no matter what role we fill. Child, parent, husband, wife, grandparent, we all have a responsibility to those that God has given us. God's word helps us then to understand these duties that we might fulfill them according to his divine will and purpose. So let's look at a few of these vocations. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated their own body, but they feed and they care for their bodies. Wives, submit to yourselves, to your own husbands, that as you do to the Lord, for the For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Parents, we have a lot of responsibilities as parents, or as grandparents raising grandkids in the faith. Martin Luther had this beautiful word about the vocation of parenthood. He said, most certainly, father and mother are apostles bishops, priests to their children. For it is they who make them acquainted with the gospel. For whoever teaches the gospel to another is truly his apostle and his bishop. What an honor then it is that we get to create disciples literally from within ourselves to raise them up at our very feet as they follow and catch the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. I have in there parentheses, parents, because the word that's used there in the Greek can really mean whoever is responsible for the raising of children, which I would say that is parents. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. And then we have a vocation as children as well. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother which is the first commandment with promise so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. We have truly a call to live and to love those around us, but it is not an easy kind of love. It is not a love that that gives you the warm, fuzzy feelings. It's that 1 Corinthians 13 love that I was talking about earlier. Being a husband isn't easy. Being a wife isn't easy. They're difficult. We know that parenting has the same kind of struggles and responsibilities. Being a dad isn't easy. Being a mom really isn't easy. These are hard tasks. But we know that God blesses those who do them. 
The call to sacrificial love and service is seen in the relationship of a child to their parents. I know that most people out there don't consider themselves to be children as of an age, but many of you still have parents who are with us. Many of you have parents who are of a certain age where they require additional care. Being a child, whether you're young or old, it isn't easy. We are called to grow through the challenges of these vocations. Being a family, holding together through the fierce storms of this world, calling your mom on the weekends. I got to write myself three fingers back at me. These things are important, but they're not easy. They're not easy. It's easier to just go the way of the world. These callings are difficult. But nothing that's ever truly good is ever also easy. These vocations are where God's most frequent and abundant blessings come to us. This is the This is the place where God says, there are things in this life that you need. There is love that you need to experience. There are challenges that you need to grow through. There are opportunities that you need to love. And he gives you a lot of opportunities in this life, but never more frequently, never more fruitfully or abundantly than opportunities to serve and love your family. These Familial vocations are where God challenges you and blesses you beyond just about any other opportunity that he gives. That's how he structured humanity from the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1. That's how he sustains and grows Christian faith throughout the generations. And you are a part of that grand narrative as child, as wife, as husband, as parent, grandparent, friend. You are given an amazing responsibility, but also an enormous blessing. So love your families well. And through that family bond, see love grow. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you this day for your unconditional love and blessings to us. Help us to love unconditionally those that you have given us in our lives, our family. Help us to learn from the mistakes of the first family, to learn from the new Adam who creates in us a new life, a new purpose, new opportunities to show our love and service to those around us. We pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.